0: How's it going, everybody, and welcome to episode number 57 of Master My Garden podcast. Uh, This week's episode, I'm joined by Mary Horrigan. And Mary is office foreman in the Botanic Gardens Dublin, previously craft gardener who was over the orchid section and the orchid house. So we're going to talk all about orchids. We're talking about the history of the gardens themselves, the orchid house and the orchid collection there. And then we're going to talk about some sort of useful tips for people as they try to care for their own orchid it's 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 one that comes up so often to get a beautiful gift for mother's day or valentine's day or whatever the occasion may be and very shortly afterwards it starts to look a bit shabby and so mary is going to give us all the tips as to how to look after it and help it thrive in your house so mary you're very very welcome to master my garden podcast thank you john yeah yeah so uh, i suppose lots to talk about uh, firstly Maybe you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your history within the Botanic Gardens.
1: So I started my, we'll say, horticultural life in UCD. I did a degree in horticulture, well, agricultural science specialising in horticulture. And from Mm -hmm. there, then I uh, grew potatoes uh, for a big grower in the south of the country. And I spent a year or so. I went to Australia for a year, came home did uh, quality control for a mineral water company. And then I finally, in 2002, got a job for with the OPW in the Botanic Gardens. And I started there as a craft gardener, and I was a craft gardener there up until December when I uh, got a promotion to office foreman, which I just started about six weeks ago. So that's a, like a yeah. quick rundown of where I came from and how I landed in the Orpid Collection in, in Glastonavon.
0: It's a bit of a change. So potatoes to Australia to minoring water (laughs) to orchids.
1: Yeah, it was always quality control until I went to the gardens when I started growing more rather than actually the sciencey end of it. Funnily enough, I ended up on a sciencey end in the gardens because I established a micropropagation lab for Irish uh, cultivars, Irish orchids, you know, but that's another whole story. Um, I ended up going to Perth to do that. Um, I've been lucky in my job. I've traveled quite a lot. I've been to Belize, uh, Guatemala a few times, collecting orchids in the wild. I've been to France and the UK and Australia for my job. So I've had quite a a good, good uh, travel history so far.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and you're, I know we won't get into it in massive detail, but so you you micro-propagated... Orchids, yeah, I, and how did that lead you lead you to Perth? What what Perth, was the connection there? I ended there? up.
1: Uh, they have one of the biggest uh, micropropagation labs for orchids in the world. They have a huge terrestrial orchid uh, population there, and they're quite advanced in their micropropagation. And I ended up in the in Perth, uh, in the Botanic Gardens there, um learning for six weeks how to micropropagate um, terrestrial orchids. And, oh, and you've from, taken that practice. Yeah, I took it to the gardens. I've I've kind of stepped away from it now, obviously, because my job description has changed, but and uh, that's what I I started doing in the middle of my career. I suppose I went to Perth around two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, It was quite a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: And that unit is still operating as such in, in the Botanic Gardens? Uh,
1: not at the moment because of COVID and not just having oh, yeah. uh, restricted staff and restricted movement and stuff. So it's kind of taken the back seat, but hopefully it'll pick up again.
0: Pick up again. And everything so picks up again. That sort of, <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of your own uh, history and, and kind of backstory in horticulture. Yeah. So moving into the... Botanic Gardens and specifically into the Orchid House. Maybe just tell us a little bit about the history of the gardens and and the Orchid House and what's you know from and take well, it the from there from the to beginning where it is to now. the
1: end for the present. Yeah. Well, the gardens was established in 1795 in Glasnevin. And it was its main purpose at the beginning was to uh, promote a scientific approach to the study of agriculture. Is what it was set up for originally, such as demonstration for uh, plants that would be used for humans and animals, and um, a little bit about food and medicine and dying things that would have been um, pertinent at the time in the 1790s. Um, As time went on, then of course it changed and became more of a botanical. institution uh up into the 1830s and it's, a lot of the time the Botanic Gardens would have changed its focus depending on the leader or the director of the gardens at the time and what he was interested in Um were on our tent director at the moment. So the first uh curator that was there, they didn't have a director at the, at the beginning, it was a curator and his name was Ninian Annette- Niven. And he lasted four years. And he was the man mainly responsible for the layout of the gardens, the roads and the paths. And as you see it today, mainly um, Mm -hmm. as as a whole, Um, he only lasted four years. And after him, he was taken. um, His job was uh, taken over by a man called David Moore. David Moore originally came from Scotland. And between him and his son, they would have been the curators of the gardens from 1838 to 1922. They lasted a huge amount of time and had a massive impact on the gardens at the time. David Moore was one of the first men that actually correctly notified um, the country of potato blight in Ireland in uh, 1845. Wow. And he correctly identified the fungus that um, caused the potato blight um, and narrowly missed out finding a remedy for at the time. Um, so he's quite famous. He was the first actually, while we're talking about orchids, he was the first to actually propagate an orchid from seed to a flowering plant, which usually takes a couple of years and is not that easy to do. Orchids grow in association with a mycorrhizal uh, fungus. So it's not, it's not easy to, to, uh, to grow an orchid from seed. And going back to what we mentioned at the beginning, I suppose, about micropropagation, uh, he was doing it on a limited scale in a glasshouse <laughs> back in the 1800s, right. so it has come through uh, to, to the present day now of uh, growing orchids from seed. It's a it's a tricky business. So uh, back in the, the 1800s, it was a, a fair achievement to to produce an orchid from seed to a flowering plant. Um, so he had a huge impact on on the gardens. His son Frederick went on um, to take over from him, and he uh, was only 22 when he became curator. And he he was knighted for his services to horticulture. Eventually, um, so he was quite um, quite an established man in the world of horticulture and quite well known, and had a lot of links around the world. You know, the Botanic Gardens, which made mm. plant collecting and plant hunting and um, increasing the plant collections in Glasnevin. Uh, it, it was quite easy for him. He he had a lot of of connections.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, just something interesting there. You said that his and i forget the first name david moore um david yeah. moore and he narrowly missed out on finding the cure what did you mean by that he, that he he was he, working he, on something he, but just he, didn't get yeah, it done I in time
1: yeah yeah yeah. he identified the fungus but it, he obviously ran out of time money expertise to actually okay. find the remedy for it at the time yeah
0: yeah yeah wow yeah. so
1: um yeah to, to Cre- uh, credit to him he was a uh,
0: yeah, credit to him and a, and a, and a pity in another way, oh, like if, yeah, if yeah, things, yeah, 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 if things fell a slightly differently, we could have been looking at a different kind of set of history. Well, but anyway, that's, um,
1: that's history all over, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And as you move on then.
1: So Frederick and David Moore then had a huge impact on the gardens. And they developed the Orca collection and made it what it was um, at the time because of their interest uh, in the collections and their connections, as I, as I mentioned, around the world, so they were able to get a lot of tropical plants, not just orchids. Um, you know, palms and there's plants that uh, were in the gardens that have dated back to the Moors' time. You know, um, that uh, are probably still in the collection. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's the oldest orchid in the collection is from the 1890s, so it would have been dating back to to the Moors' time. Um, well, i suppose between the two of them they were the longest serving in the gardens as as an entirety you know from father to son um all the directors after that have been um individuals i suppose if that's the right way to put it uh you know um have, have no history no father-son connections um yeah there's that.
0: no no natural succession no there natural from one succession. to
1: another we you have to remember back in the 1800s we were part of uh, england And so it was the Royal Botanic Gardens and they were all paid by an English government and stuff. And then in the 1920s, of course, our history changed. And then, you know, subsequently our own government and then the Botanic Gardens uh, came in under the Department of Agriculture eventually and then stayed there for a long time until it eventually moved into the OPW in around 1992.
0: And so the the Orchid House now, what... What sort of, I haven't actually been in a couple of years, so what sort of a collection? In
1: 2002, when I started, the Orchid House was being renovated as part of the Palm House uh, complex. So back, as I mentioned, in 92, when the OPW took over, there was a big uh, restoration and renewal plan developed for the gardens. And it involved the car park that's now there, the visitor centre, renewing the, the nursery houses. Doing the Curvilinear Range, re, uh, restoring that, and restoring the Panhouse. And the last one to be done was the palmhouse. And as part of that, that was the Orchid House, and that was closed between 2002 when I started. That that whole complex was closed uh, up until 2004, and then it reopened to the public mid 2004, I think, after we had planted it. So the only the if for people that aren't familiar with the palmhouse is in the middle, and there's two wings, uh, one facing east and one facing west. Uh, one is the orchid house, and one is now the cactus house. Used to be the camellia house, but our cactus house, for those that are regulars to the gardens, will know it's been closed for a number of years now uh, in disrepair. But uh, the orchid house, though, is, is the first wing you'd meet when you, you come into the gardens. I suppose most people walk up the path straight into the orchid house, and that was opened, it filled. Uh, the Palm House was empty and the Cactus House had a collection of flowering plants put in for the opening back in 2004. And after a while, um, as the when the Cactus House had to close and the plant collection had to move, that moved over uh, to one wing of the Palm House. The Palm House was eventually replanted with all the original plants that were in the Palm House. And then the Orchid House, uh, that had its collection put in uh, for the opening. So that has remained as is. Uh, the collection changes from time to time and so far as plants come into flower and out of flower. So I suppose the difference with the orchid house as we have a, compared to other gardens that you might visit is our house is quite big, it's divided into three sections and it's a growing house, it's not just for display. Okay. So sometimes when people go in they expect everything to be in flower but that's not possible yeah. obviously, <laughs> not everything flowers at the same time. So at the moment now in the winter you'd have cymbidiums which I'll talk about later, you'd always have a few Phalaenopsis and then because they're tropical, they come in and out of flower their summer is different to your summer and so you'll have stuff in flower all the time but sometimes you have to look very closely because some orchids are only pinhead size so you might get a smell and you put your nose through the to the biggest flower there but it's never the biggest flower that smells it's nearly always the smallest flower
0: didn't know that now
1: yeah and and, well not as a as a as a a general rule not as a, a fact a lot of the especially with orchids there's Oh, there's, I think, last count between 25 and 30,000 species. But when you gets to hybrids, there's hundreds of thousands of hybrids, many of which are produced and never even named because uh, naming is an expensive business. Um, and they're just grown en masse in glass houses and produced for Mother's Day, Valentine's yeah. Day and whatever other birthday you want. So your phalaenopsis and all the ones you buy, they don't, they're just phalaenopsis hybrids, most of them. They don't have a name. If you were paying for a named hybrid... You pay handsomely for it. A lot of the the, the flowers that we have a mixture of hybrids and species in the, in the collection. And a lot of the species are quite strong smelling, as I said, because they have to attract their pollinators by smell. If the flower is small, the pollinator has to find it. And if it smells strongly, yeah. it's easier for a bee or a wasp to find it. The big blousy ones don't have to smell <laughs> because they are big and blousy and you can't miss them. So, if you're a little wasp or an insect, it's very easy to find a big, blousy flower compared to a small, little one. So, it's, it's survival of the fishes, I suppose, in the plant world as to how you get pollinated, because after all, that's their purpose in life to be pollinated. Yeah, it's amazing the way it works. Yeah. So, the, the,
0: the, the small one is not going to stand out. So, it needs yeah. to do it another way. And that, that's generally true smell.
1: Yeah. And a lot of them, too, are, are um, generally true smell, exactly. And you will find, too, some of them only smell at night. And when you get up in the morning, you might have one in your kitchen and go, oh, that smells lovely in the morning. But by the evening, you can't smell it and you think you're just getting used to it. But it actually smells at night because it's moth pollinated. And at night in the jungle, it's dark. So you must smell to be found. So if you're not smelly, the moth can't get you. It can't pollinate you. So it's flowers. It smells. Yeah, it's night.
0: amazing. You you see that all across Every type of plant, the way they're able to adapt, you know, for whatever situation.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's like they say orchids are the most highly adapted flower in the world, and they are to a certain extent. But there are many plants that have to adapt to their environment as as it goes on. Yeah. And I suppose on a complete tangent, the problem with um you're always hearing about plants getting lost in the wild and and dying and deforestation, and all that. A lot of it is they don't get time to adapt to their new environment because their environment just Disappears overnight.
0: Okay, so their environment changes before they get a chance to a chance to adapt.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. the but that, all other topics.
0: Yeah, um, you mentioned there that there was an orchid, and I forget how many years old you said it was, but it's there since.
1: Oh, there's one there since the 1890s in the collection. All right.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And
1: it, across, it, the... it's, it's it's probably more going to be a um, sympodial rather than a monopodial orchid sympodial ones are generally uh, have pseudobulbs and they grow one pseudobulb and then another pseudobulb another pseudobulb and the back bulbs die so okay it may have started in one spot in the jungle if you say and ended up at the top of the tree after hundreds of years because it's just moved its way along you know by back bulbs dying and new bulbs being created as it moves along um,
0: okay so. and how many orchids approximately have have you guys got in the collection now
1: In the collection at the moment, I think there is maybe five, six, seven hundred. And that's just maybe uh, the species, you know, Um, you might have several propagations of the one plant, you know. So plants, you have a lot more than you would of species covered, you know. Um,
0: Yeah. And when you guys propagate now, are you propagating for the function of Adding to your own collection, or is it a case that you're propagating to to share with other
1: um, botanic gardens and so on? Generally, for our own good. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, if we if we got enough um seeds and our plants, you could pass them on, but you rarely would. You know, it's a very um, hit and miss job, I suppose, in a way, because it, it's it, you know, growing seed for anything, you always grow, you start with more and end up with. A lot less plants than you think. At the best of times, um, yes. orchids are exactly the same. You know, you have to grow them in a lab with a mycorrhizal uh, fungus. So you have to extract the fungus from the roots. You have to grow that in a clear, clean environment. You have to have the seed and make sure that's sterile. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong. In and is a, the mycorrhizal
0: fungi on orchids specific yes. to orchids? Or Generally, yeah. is it? Oh, yeah. Because so I know, in, I know,
1: in temperate plants, I suppose. Um, a lot of them that again going back to the hybrids and man-made plants, they'd have less need or uh, one for um, an association. Um, but when it comes to the Irish native orchids, they'd all grow in association with uh, mycorrhizal fungi. Yeah, yeah. for the propagation, They're, the orchid seed is tiny and it has very little food reserve of its own. Like you couldn't compare it to, say, a chestnut or something, which has a big food reserve. It can it can germinate itself, you know, to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, whereas orchids, they have very little food reserves and the fungus is there too to uh, give them funguses sugary um, uh, so it's, it gives them the food supply that they need to germinate so that's your yeah, it's amazing. Orchids. Mycorrhizal
0: is is amazing.
1: Is yeah and it, it's for loads of plants, not just orchids like loads of plants have a mycorrhizal yeah. association in the ground that no one knows about and they wonder when the plant dies it's often that the pH of the soil changes or something different changes that is not tangible to you i suppose your plant dies and you wonder why and it's because what it needs is dead a lot of orchids holds the same mycorrhizal association throughout their life with them and some of them change it it's a whole other lab um right uh topic (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah you know
0: um you mentioned slightly mentioned there irish orchids so we we have quite a few orchids and for the most part people are not overly aware of them and i know there was a lot of um, publicity last year around one that was found, but they are they are relatively common. But yeah, people yeah. maybe just not aware of them. Is that kind of the?
1: Oh yeah, we'd get a lot of pictures sent in during the summer. Say, your, your I suppose your Irish orchid time is um, maybe May, mid May, maybe for some into June, July, um, and that will be the bulk of time. And you get a lot of people sending in pictures that think they have orchids and they don't have them at all. And then people that have lots of orchids and don't realize what they have. So, yes, it is uh, it is something that needs a lot more um, attention, I suppose, in a way. So people are aware that they're there, so they're not destroying them or digging them up. Orchids generally like poor soil. So you'll always find them on uh, waterways or great spots. Um, dunes, sand dunes, you know, Mullockmore, the burn. Um, Bull Island um, east and west coast um, and motorways you know when they create a new motorway and yeah. they've blasted through um, a hill or whatever it might be for it or some pasture land. Uh, a couple of years later you'll often find orchids maybe 10 years later popping up because it, the, the side of the roads the banks are usually very gravelly very yeah. nutrient poor so Generally, I will look for them on places where you see the likes of oxide daisies uh, and no grass.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And you'll usually find an orchid. They don't like competition either, so it's too grassy, you see they won't get the light because they'll be smaller, so and they wouldn't grow yeah. as vigorously. So, yeah. And yeah.
0: so, in that scenario where they're where they're grown, is that a case that the seed is in the soil and it just takes time for it to come come out, or mm-hmm. are the are the seeds moving in there through through another means?
1: It could be yeah. animal movement. It could be wind dispersal. Uh, it could be humans walking from one side to another. Um, it's hard to know. And sometimes they're just in the soil. And sometimes if there's a river, uh, you find them in one patch, and then maybe a mile down further the river, there they'll be on the bank of a river again, because the river has taken the seed. So, generally nature.
0: Yeah. And are, are they as difficult? Because I know you said that the... You know the orchids that you guys would have would be, you know, it would be a tricky process to to propagate from seed, and yet still it happens, it happens in nature. It does. Is and it ju-
1: nature is fantastic that way, really, isn't it? We all yeah. intervene and try and do what we can to create nature and and change it to to suit ourselves, and still so it'll just do what. Yeah, it it's wants. amazing, really. Yeah,
0: huh? it is. Yeah. How, uh, ballpark, how many native orchids would would we have in Ireland?
1: We've thirteen genera. So just over 30 species. Some are very common and some are quite rare. Um, Some are known in only a few spots and only by a few people for the intense purposes of preservation. Um, And then you have stuff like um, Daculariza, the common spotted orchid, which you'll find on most it's just poor soil. I think the one that was found in Wexford last year was... um, the bee orchid, um, which is we'll say locally common. So if you have it, you'll have a few plants, but you won't find okay. it everywhere. If that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And you mentioned a, a good field guide
1: for for people. Oh yeah, um, one for... of the best, a lot of field guides that have been produced in this country over time are obviously uh, very British, Isles based. We'll say. Um, yeah. But this one was produced by Brendan Sayers, a colleague of mine, and Susan Stex, who is a very, very uh, famous, renowned um, botanical artist. And they produced a book called Ireland's Wild Orchids. And it's available in hardback, I think in most good bookstores. Um, You can go online and and Google it as well. They, They produced a lovely field guide, and it has all the orchids. And as an example, now, if I open a page here, it starts like with uh given the genius, it gives you this up in the top left there's a picture of the book in a little circle and the size of the plant beside the book so if you have the book okay. out with you you can say oh it's not scale. that plant probably scale so you have the book yeah. for scale and it gives you the height and the habitat and the flowering period and distribution and a brief description there's a be a photo of it and a botanical description a botanical uh painting of it as well so it's quite Excellent. a handy little book. It come, the, the field guide one I have, the original one, not the hardback copy, um, comes a little scale ruler and everything in it and a place for notes and stuff. Now, the hardback copy doesn't have that in it, but yeah. um, this is a wireback copy. Um, but uh, yes, very, very handy little book, Ireland's Wild Orchids by Brendan Sayers and Susan And that will give okay. you a definitive guide to all the orchids on this island. Because sometimes when you pick up a book, you have to be always very careful Um Especially when it comes to orchids, like tropical orchids as well, you pick up a book and it'll say, Oh, it'll grow outdoors for you. You have to remember that book was probably published in Australia or America. Or <laughs> yeah,
0: it certainly <laughs> wouldn't like it you, today.
1: You take your phalaenopsis for a walk and you wonder why it's dead, you know? It won't die yeah, immediately, yeah. but it'll drop all its leaves in a week and you're, Oh my God, what did I do? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely wouldn't want there, to go outside
0: today so we've minus two today with uh, no, minus you know. two celsius with with a very well a very strong wind here anyway so yeah, and strong, <laughs> definitely and
1: a strong cold breeze around the corner here so um, yeah, you know, yeah, taking yeah. orchids for a walk most orchids you can put out in the summer even your tropical ones if it's really good not the last summer gone now but a good summer you can put them out yeah. for a couple of hours during the day it's really good to be able to water them outside free drain them and all like you know
0: not- Um that kind of leads us on to I suppose the the everyday orchid, as we talked about, and we've mentioned a couple of times that they're a very, very regular Christmas, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, birthday gift. And nine times out ten, it's felonopsis. Yes, and generally. Yeah. I, I'd say for the most part, they come in a pot that is possibly too small for them. And they generally look brilliant for a few weeks and then very quickly you see the you see the shriveled leaves and the the flowers, and the flowers dropping off dropping
1: and off and you're like oh my god i've killed it um, yeah yeah please yeah. don't think just because the flowers fall off as a huge amount of people do that the plant is dead the plant is not dead because the flowers fall off you'd be surprised many people think that um, yeah
0: and then there's i think there's kind of two trains of thought there's there's uh There's some people that recommend that orchids need a bit of neglect and then people take that literally and put them in a room and forget about them for six (laughs) months and then wonder what went wrong. I did neglect it, but it's still dead. (laughs) And then others maybe take the opposite approach of giving it too much. Um, much Yeah. So as an expert, maybe tell us how exactly people should should care for them. And...
1: Well, I, I, I'd be, you're, you're generous with your, your expert um, compliment <laughs> there, I'd say. Um, I, I know a fair bit. A lot of, of the problem with indoor house plants in general is where people put them. Not so much what you do with it. it, to a certain 50% is what you do with it after you put it in its spot. But a lot of people bring them home and think they'll grow fine sitting over a radiator with no water or sitting yeah. in the cold spot with too much water. You know, you're buying a tropical plant here and you have to try and mimic the tropical environment you come from. And in your everyday house, that is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. So positioning in your house is very important. I mean, a lot of plants like um, a sunroom and a conservatory, Do you have to remember in the summer, you need to take those plants off the window. You need to put them in, out of that direct sun, especially in the summer or winter sun, generally most plants can take. But our yeah. summer sun, even on a bad day, is too hot behind glass. Yes. You either need, if you have a glass house and you're fortunate enough um, to to have that, and it's heated and, you know, insulated and bubble wrapped and whatever, uh, you can grow a lot of things. Uh, but in your, your window, you have to be mindful. That window gets cold at night. Your plant is mm-hmm. up against it, no matter what the plant is. It's going to suffer the consequences. Um, yeah eventually. So you have to be mindful of the kind of plant. And I suppose that's where a little bit of knowledge goes a long way when it comes to orchids, especially phalaenopsis like it warm and they they don't like cold. They don't like breezes, but most plants don't like breezes either. So if you're putting it in a drafty spot in the hall where the door is always open and closing, it's going to suffer. Might do it this year, but definitely the following year it's losing leaves and you're like, oh, what did I do with that? And you're thinking of what you did. A month ago whereas you probably should be thinking about what you did six months or 12 months ago you put it in yeah. that cold spot. Plants are very resilient they'll hang on and hang on for as long as they can when they die they're they're definitely at their last legs yeah and, and, and you over watered or this is general rule yeah
0: over watered or, or, yeah. or forgot about it and phalaenopsis, yeah. so They typically like tropical type conditions. So I suppose if you you, think. They like
1: it warm. Yeah, definitely.
0: Warm and moist. Damp.
1: Damp. Don't go as far as moist. I'd say damp. So a lot of the time when you buy them, you go in, they're in a very fancy ceramic pot and you go, oh, lovely. And then you bring it home, you put it on the windowsill and you start watering it. And most of those plants will take like an eight cup of water a week. You know, they they don't like a huge amount. So that's what I'm saying damp rather than moist or wet definitely never wet rarely ever wet um but i suppose the, tr- the 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 trick is the what pot is on the inside they're generally grown in clear pots and you can grow them in clear pots at home that's fine um, some people like them, some people don't like the look of them. I suppose the beauty of clear pots, you can see what's going on. And that's why a lot of nurseries grow them in clear pots, because they can see. They can see if there's root damage. They can see if the roots are growing. They can see if there's fungal infection. You know, you can see a lot of things through a clear pot that you can't see on a red or a black or, you know, a, yeah. just an ordinary an ordinary pot you grow a, a houseplant in. Um, you don't have to grow it in the clear pot, um, but you have to be careful that if it's double potted as in the clear pot plus your nice ceramic fancy pot that is not sitting in a puddle of water at the bottom. Yeah, sitting in water on the bottom. Yeah. And even though the top will dry and the top will naturally dry because the air con the air in the house will dry the top of the plant, the bottom of it could be quite wet. So you have to lift that pot out of the fancy pot I'd say to see what's going on at the bottom.
0: Yeah. So essentially it, it should never sit in water.
1: No, no. If you want if you want to water your plants and sit in water that's fine and if you're the kind of person a bit like me who waters from the bottom up and um, fill the tray sit in the water but by the following day you're emptying that water and you're draining those plants
0: okay so whatever they whatever they, they take up in the in the 24 hours get rid that of the rest then
1: get rid of the rest and make sure it's well drained you know even sometimes i'll put it back in the tray a plant and the following day again like day two i'm taking it out and letting it drain again because more water has come out of the pot trick okay. is don't don't let it sit in water yet
0: and for phalaenopsis, should should we be spraying the leaves and no, spraying the stems no. to rip? No, no,
1: don't ever spray the leaves of an orchid. Don't okay. ever spray the, the flowers. Don't ever spray the 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 flower stem. I'll call it. If I want a a different terminology to put in it. And um, orchids are there are a little drop into the top of the pot. Don't wet the leaves. Don't wet into the crown. For phalaenopsis, they have those lovely thick. Um, leathery leaves. Yes. And if you wet into the crown, that water stays. And if you do drip a bit into the crown, you should always get a bit of tissue or, you know, something and, and yep. try and soak out as much water out of the crown as you can. Those plants are naturally grown upside down off a tree in the jungle. So the water never gets into the crown. So if you think of holding that plant upside down, that's the way it should grow. And the flowers are hanging down, pendulous, not straight up okay. the way you buy it.
0: Okay, so the the recommendation then to mist the plants w- would really be only referring to the, the root zone. So rather than the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so mist I'd the root never, zone. I'd
1: never, it's one thing I'd never uh, recommend people to do um, is use a mist bottle unless you're very, very uh, adept, careful and have had a lot of um, trial and error, we call it, and mm-hmm. with mist bottles. It's always better just to a little, they say... Uh, when you water, you water and weekly, weekly. So W-E-A-K-L-Y and W-E-E-K-L-Y, if that makes okay, sense.
0: Okay, so once <laughs> so a week, a little bit. So you're saying an egg it, cup, basically, once a week. An
1: egg cup, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can, there's nothing wrong with you every other week. Putting, turning on the tap and running the water through the pot and letting it drain. That's another yeah. way to do it. Um, a lot of the orchids are grown in bark, like you don't grow them in typical compost compost yeah um so it should be free draining what goes in should come out of the pot should come if out you put a yeah. cup in the cup should come out okay and let that's it drain that's
0: well. that's two good tips anyway so number one you're using just a small amount of water as in an egg cup full once weekly, a week weekly yeah yeah weekly weekly, and same,
1: weekly weekly yeah
0: okay so fertilize once a week as well with, with uh, the, water in the growing it. season yeah
1: You in can the growing season. It, generally liquid fertilizer is best and yeah. you should always water between fertilizer because you don't want the fertilizer um whatever liquid food you use to build yeah. up at the inside of the pot. You know you don't want to burn the root. So it's all okay. that's why flushing through the pot is never a bad idea, especially if you're feeding because you can actually put it on the tap and give it a good flush.
0: Hmm. Dark, so you know. Dave someone has taken home after Mother's Day their their uh orchid now and they have it in a good location a suitable location and they're f- watering it and feeding it just enough once a week yeah um potting definitely is needed at some point at what oh, point yeah. should should somebody be looking to to pot on and how would they go about doing it
1: so i suppose the trick with orchids is they like to be a bit pot bound compared to other plants that like lots of space you know you'd always pot up if you say um if you have another plant like i don't know a house plant a ficus and that or something you'd always put it into the next size pot because once you yep. go to repot it the roots are pot down orchids like their roots to feel the edge of the pot and that's why you'll often see the roots coming out over the edge of the pot um mm-hmm. it because they're area roots they those thick gray roots in the phalaenopsis are area roots so the root that you would learn in biology is a thin oh, probably the size of a little clump of hairs together in the middle of what is called vellumum. And that's the grey surface you see on those Phelanopsis roots. That's pure water. And that's why water little and often, there's always a lot more water in those roots than you think. If you were to snap one and squeeze it, the water would squish out of that root. The root is the thin, um, wiry kind of bit in the middle that's harder to break the surface okay. is all the way the, the surface all the way around. And it, it again, you're talking going back to plant adaptation. It has adapted in the environment, um, its natural environment to um protect itself. So you have little animals and whatnot eating roots, they're eating development. They're not eating the actual root that feeds the plant. That's in okay. the middle of all that grey. So even though the roots look grey and they're hanging out over the pot you go, oh my God, grey, they look so dry and shriveled. Now sometimes they are but a lot of the time, if you squeeze it, it's actually full of water, and that's why people overwater because they don't realise there's a, that plant is holding a lot more water in its root system than you think.
0: Okay. And...
1: So it doesn't mind being a little pot bound in that respect. A lot of the time, when you get philanopsis, they don't they don't need repotting. Um, I suppose the 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 little secret in a lot of the orchids that you grow is that a lot of them are grown in uh, what's called a plug in the middle. So when they were small seedlings, they grow them in. Um, how would I describe a plug? It's about the size of maybe an, an egg cup or smaller. And it can be quite mossy and quite yep. um, heavy substrate. Yep. And that's to bring seedling on. And then they take that plug with the plant in it and they pot it into what you see as the clear pot with bark around it um, yeah. so in the middle can be quite wet and you don't realize it because you can't see it yes. so when you go to repot and you take the plant out and you're looking and you're like oh god all oh, the roots in the middle are wet it's because of that plug is there that you don't realize is there there for the last couple of months um one of the supermarkets was selling um rare orchids as they'd like to call them. And I bought four or five. I said, here's my trial. I'll see how I get on with these. a um, few Oncidiums, a few Cambria hybrids and Miltonia's and stuff. And I waited until they all flowered. You'd never repot something when it's flowering, because you just disturb it, it'll drop its flowers. So you always yep. repot after flowering. And coming up now between February, March, April is always a good time to repot any plant orchids included. Um but when I took them out of the pot, uh there's the plug, the squishy plug in the middle of what looked like moss peat or something like that, or moss, yeah. and it was quite wet. Um, so I, I j- delicately took all that off, cleaned it all off and repotted it in proper orchid bark or coir, whatever um, you can get your hands on.
0: Okay. And so essentially never, never repot when it's in flour. No. And even though the phalaenopsis likes to be a little bit root bound, at some point it must need to be repotted. Yeah. How would you generally How would you know when that point is?
1: When you see the roots coming out, it's generally a sign that they don't want to be in the pot because the mix has gone sour, I suppose.
0: Okay, so they're coming up over the top of the pot, so essentially. they're coming
1: out over the top of the pot. and A lot of people will end up, that's a good indication, um, and usually when you take it out of the pot, it will fall out of the pot. A lot of people need to repot too because it has moved its way out of the pot and keeps falling over, and you just need to get it out of the pot. And sometimes you're yep. putting it back into the same pot, clean the pot, wash it out, sterilise it, you know, just boiling water even, and put it back into the same pot because sometimes it's actually just got top heavy and it fell out and there isn't enough root in the pot, a lot of the roots are outside, So you need to delicately get all those roots, or a lot of them, they don't all have to go back into the pot, a lot of them back into the pot so you can actually get the plant to stay standing in the pot. They don't like to be wobbly when you repot an orchid. Uh, It's the same theory as if you're planting a tree, you heal it in, you put a stake in it, so the root base is steady in the soil. If it's not steady, it'll fall over and die and it'll keep rocking in the soil. The orchids are the same they need to be steady in the pot. So when you get it into the pot, you should be able to um, lift it by its plant and the pot should stay.
0: Okay. And should, so the, these grey roots that you're talking about around the outside, mm-hmm. should you be trying to spread them out and position them around the outside of the pot?
1: Not necessarily out the outside of the pot. I suppose the trick of the grey, the, the, the Phalaenopsis roots, so much as, more so than say a Cymbidium or a brassier or an Oncidium, they they're quite thick, big roots of fail nox. They're hard to maneuver in. All you can do is try to get them back into the pot without breaking them. And some of them just yeah. won't go in and that's fine, just leave them outside. Um but you need to get some amount of them into the pot um so you can actually stabilize the plant in it. It'll it'll never do unless you, you stabilize it in the pot. Like and sometimes that's um a case of putting the roots all putting a little bit of bark at the bottom putting some of the roots in and then with your finger, just putting pieces of bark in all the way around, like building it up like a, a, a I don't know, a rockery kind of.
0: On, yeah, to make sure it's compact And the
1: bark and to make sure that it's all um, steady in it. It, it, takes yeah. a to- it takes a while. It, do- it does take a while. Don't ever use compost. I've seen plants in shops with compost because they fell out and someone just shoved it back in with compost. Quickest yeah. way to kill it. Their roots need to breathe. And that's why they're in bark. A coir, coir is coconut coir. That's
0: great. You can get that online. Yeah, um, as well. So that I think you've given good tips there. That uh, hopefully everybody now who takes home their their uh, their Valentines or Mother's Day.
1: Oh, I never use never use tap water. Always try and use rainwater.
0: Oh yeah, another good one. Yeah, um, obviously yeah. because you have whatever oh, you have chlorine and much. whatever else. <laughs> way
1: too much in, in, in uh, uh, tap water. Yeah, that's going uh, to affect most, for most most plants like. Most plants prefer rainwater. Yeah. Um you
0: know. Yeah, and I suppose with, with house plants it's, it's it makes sense as well because it is going to affect the mycorrhizal on on on, a, on an orchid.
1: Yeah, you need you need clear water. Or if you're taking rainwater, just boil water and yeah. Keep it. Yeah. You know, cool it off, don't put boiling water into the plant, don't put boiling water into any plant. <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously let it boil it, put it in a jug, let it there for the day, let it cool off and then then use it. Okay. Um, that's that's generally a good a good rule at home. Um, I suppose my best bit of advice is don't believe everything you read online. Um, make sure you read the same thing out of 15 different websites before you will take it as a fact. And again, it's a bit like books. Be careful online. A lot of them are American, Australian, especially when it comes to orchids. And they'll tell you you can do things you can't do. Okay, because they're running in a different climate here to uh, Miami or wherever. Oh, yes, you can put your, <laughs> your dendrobium outside, and then it's dead. You know, so
0: yeah. Yeah. Just
1: just be mindful of where you're getting your information and what you, what you, what you do with it, and how you take it on board. Um, I'll I'll put another plug in. Um, my first one was for Brendan Sayers and Susan Sexton's book of Ireland's Wild Orchids, but I'll also mention the Irish Orchid Society, which is always a good spot to go. We have some very knowledgeable members and we have an online um blog where you can sign up pay your membership and ask as many questions as you want about what you bought and what you didn't buy
0: excellent so that gives people uh, a bank of knowledge there that they can trust and and uh...
1: yeah because it's coming from people that have grown orchids for donkey's years and if someone says something uh untoward you know on 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 blogs most people will say no you can't do that yeah, I yeah. Do this. So, so yes so that's a good uh, chit-chat thing we the orchid society would have held a meeting every month um in the botanic gardens but of course since last april that has all come to uh, uh a crashing halt if you like <laughs> so online is is a, is a nice way to go just to to get. but it is it, a handy reference and there's always mm. people that will know where to buy things and where to to get things or where to recommend buying online, especially for plants now, because um, everything's our whole life has gone online now. Yeah, for That's, sure. Especially with COVID. So um, yeah, it's all it's the the society is good. It's a good spot to start for for information. You know.
0: Just before we finish off, how how are you? Go- I know obviously people who are within the the five k um, can can go in around the gardens for a walk and whatever else. Um,
1: yeah, so we're we're open in the gardens. We have been all the time. We closed for two or three weeks at the very beginning when the whole world shut down back in March, um, last year. So we've been open since. Um, we're open ten till half four at the moment. Our summer hours will be coming in, um, when the clock changes in March. Um, we're open seven days a week. Um, the glass houses are closed. So you can't see the orchid collection. So don't be disappointed. Yeah. When you go, you've been told here. Um. The glass houses have been closed since March and will remain closed for the foreseeable. Yeah. Um. Uh, our bi- all our buildings are closed. The restaurant is open for takeaway, tea and coffee and stuff. Uh, but the gardens, all the gardens outside are open to the public. Yeah, it's nice if, if, if somebody
0: is lucky enough to be in that 5k. And how are you how are yeah. you guys finding it? Obviously, you have a certain amount of, of people in walking and looking around, but... yeah
1: most people uh, keep their distance now in fairness you know i think everyone has learned at this stage (laughs) uh stay away if you want to ask a question just keep a distance um we're coming up to our busy season i suppose like most horticulturalist gardeners farmers anyone that that grows things you're you're coming into your busy season now after uh march you know paddy's day is always the day you plant your potatoes so Um, (laughs) (laughs) we're we're going to get busy too with our bedding and and stuff like that so it is it is, I, I suppose there's challenges um, when you 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 can't be doing what you normally would have yeah, done. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't all work on the one section together on top of each other yes. because you can't do that anymore. So uh, things have to be done slower, um, a bit more pre-planning, but, you know, it'll be the same.
0: Yeah, and is is it trickier for you guys? Like, I, I I'm sure you get a lot of satisfaction from you know garden tours and so on, and you know people maybe garden clubs coming coming to visit. Our
1: garden tours have been suspended yeah. as well, obviously because we can't have crowds, people. Uh, that's through, done through the guide service. Again, check out the Botanic Gardens website, Botanic um they were 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 running tours earlier before christmas but then of course level five suspended all that so um again check online that's where you'll find uh they're doing online talks on wednesdays at the moment um so that's always good uh there'll be something interesting there for everyone um on crowcast i think just you'd have to check it now yeah, check uh,
0: it on the website yeah <laughs> oh, sure. you yep. you're giving us a, a brilliant overview of orchids and hopefully uh people after listening to it will be able to look after and not uh for want of a better word be kill. a
1: little bit be a little bit more brave yeah
0: and and not kill the ones that they that they that they get as a gift so yeah it's oh
1: you know you'll always kill things but <laughs> i think to learn something you have to kill it first before you can um Learn by your mistakes.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, Mary, yeah. thank you very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. It was a brilliant chat. You're welcome,
1: John.
0: Thank you. So that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Mary for coming on. Really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm not an orchid expert and don't know that huge amount about it, but it was really interesting. And uh, the piece on, on Irish orchids was very interesting. And I'll definitely look up that book because it would be incredible to think that these are somewhere in the in the environment close to you. And you may not even know they're there. So that's very interesting to me. And certainly for anybody listening to that, there's very solid tips about how to look after orchids in your own home because I know it is a big problem. I don't know the percentages, but I'm sure a huge percentage of what gets bought, you know, for these occasions uh, doesn't survive past maybe six months or a year, which is, which is incredible. But it really is simple. Just follow those steps that, that Mary gave us and you should be, you should be on your way to, very successful flowers for years to come uh, if you're enjoying the podcast please share it with all your garden friends and if there's anything you'd like me to cover just let me know you can find me on the social channels instagram and facebook at mastermygarden or email at info at mastermygarden.com so that's been this week's episode i hope you enjoyed it and until the next time happy gardening
1: <laughs>